Just a reminder, anyone that's visiting today, there is a luncheon provided after Sabbath, or after church service here. Just come on downstairs. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'll be reading verses 4 through 9, actually 10. This is from the New King James Version. Coming to him, a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up sacrificials, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also in cont contained in the scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by, by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. May the Lord add his blessing as the pastor brings us his message this morning. People have a deep desire to belong, to belong somewhere, to someone. Do you belong? Many people feel they don't belong. They don't belong to anything. They don't belong anywhere. They don't feel like they belong in school. They don't feel like they belong even with friends. They feel a little bit out of place or in the neighborhood even with their own family sometimes, and even at church. Sometimes people feel that they just don't have the right look or the right words or the right status or the resources that others would expect. But what does it mean to belong? How do you fit in? Do you need someone to help you? I went to Atlantic Union College, and during registration, I felt like I didn't belong in some way. Because on the form, you had to tell where you graduated from high school. And I saw it said, circle the one that you graduated from. And it had PTA and PVA, these just these initials or these letters PTA PVA GBA 
USA, BMA, NJA, and so on. And I looked at all these, in, these initials and I thought, what in the world are all these things? I don't know what these things graduated from this. And then I saw the USA and I thought, oh, that's me. I graduated from public school in the United States of America. And so I circled that one. It wasn't until later I discovered that all those were initials of academies like Blue Mountain Academy, that would be BMA, and Pioneer Valley Academy for PVA, and so on. I didn't know that, though. I hadn't gone to academy. I'd gone to public school. And so I felt like I didn't fit in. And I didn't have, because I, because I didn't go to academy, I didn't have all the friends from, from these academies. So all the other kids who were there, it seemed like all of them, had come from an academy, so they had friends from the academy where they attended school. And I hadn't. And I didn't have any friends. And so others were all chumming around with each other, and I was just there. And until uh, there was a young man who was a senior that year, and his name was Harry Subnani. And Harry Subnani and his, his friend, Kim Johnson, invited me to come to a student-led study session they had in the evenings when there was free time. And they were going through a little book called Steps to Christ. Now, I had tried reading Steps to Christ before. Somebody recommended, to, to recommended it to me as a teenager. But as I read it, it just seemed like all this religious language. You know, God loves you and you need to repent of your sins and all that. And it seemed like it was just ho-hum didn't, you know, didn't really hit me. But when I went to this study and these young men and a few others who were with them began to tell what those words meant to their hearts, I started to understand things I never could understand before. It started to thrill me, the idea about God loving us in a very personal way. And it led to my personal experience of being born again. And then I really fit in. But I needed that help. Well, let's look at Acts chapter 16, if you would, please. Acts chapter 16. Somebody needed some help in the story here in Acts 16. In chapter 16 of Acts, we have the story about Paul and Silas being imprisoned. It's in chapter 16, starting with verse 16. And I'm not going to read these several verses at the beginning of this story, but suffice it to say that they were preaching and the people didn't like it. Let's pick up the story in verse 20. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then... The multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
Well, it was clear that Paul and Silas didn't belong. They didn't belong in that city, the people thought. They're too different. We don't want them. Look at verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Well, see, that just goes to show all the more they didn't belong. Who sings hymns in prison? I mean, that's not the place for singing hymns. And so they didn't belong. But the prisoners were listening. Go on to verse 30. It tells about, in between, about how the Lord responded to their singing of hymns by sending an earthquake and opening up all the prison doors and all. And the jailer thought he was doomed and he was going to kill himself. (coughs) Excuse me. Pick it up in verse 30. And he, the jailer, brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, and you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he... And all his family were baptized. So when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Well, the story is as uh, develops, as it develops with the earthquake and all, the jailer began to realize something. He didn't belong. He didn't belong to the children of God. And he said, what must I do to be saved, to belong to God's people? What must I do? Did he need some help? He did. And how did Paul and Silas help that jailer to belong? They ministered to him from what? Pardon? From jail, but something else. They used used an instrument to help them. The scriptures, that's right. He shared the truth. With them, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the Bible, he opened up to that uh, they, Paul and Silas, opened up to that jailer so that he could understand. And apparently, his whole family was listening, and they all believed what they heard, and they responded, and they were able to belong. Now, the Holy Spirit was doing a mighty work, wasn't he? He was, as we read through these chapters in Acts, the Holy Spirit was doing a great and miraculous work of building up the church bigger and stronger, growing in numbers and in faith. And he wanted to build up the church in this very place. But first, he needed to get Paul and Silas into prison. That's how he was going to reach the jailer and his whole family. He had to get Paul and Silas into prison. But before that, he had to get something into Paul and Silas. He had to get the hymns into Paul and Silas. And then when he got Paul and Silas into prison, he would inspire them to start singing those hymns. And then the people would listen. Not just the, po- the jailer and his family, 
but the prisoners as well. And so he got the, the hymns into Paul and Silas. He got Paul and Silas into the prison. And he inspired them to sing those hymns even in spite of their pain and suffering. Remember, they've been beaten with rods. Sitting up against the wall with their feet in the stalks, that's not pleasant. But it was the very fact that they could sing hymns in trouble that the Holy Spirit could use to reach the jailer and the prisoners and the family. Well, what about us? What about us? Does God have a hymn in you? In me? You say, well, I can't sing. No, you don't have to sing. You have to appreciate and cherish the beautiful thoughts and words of the hymn that draws close to the heart of God. And then we can glow. No, we don't have to be singing it necessarily, but we can just glow with the, the message of those hymns, with the beautiful love of Jesus flowing through us. In communist China, when the communists took over, they started putting thousands of Christians in jail, in prison. They were regarded, of course, as an enemy of communism. They are put in prison and labor camps. There they were treated brutally. But those Christians banded together in those uh, labor camps and prisons. They banded together for fellowship and for study and for worship. And they shared their faith with other prisoners and won converts to Jesus. So much so that there became a whole movement of setting up churches within prisons all over China. And then guess what happened? The time came when the prisoners were released. And so these people who had been converted to Christianity were released. They went home to different parts of different villages and different regions. And guess what they did when they got there? They shared the story of Jesus. And they started up house churches all over China in every region. What an amazing thing. God had to get the Christians into the prisons in order for the church to grow. In fact, this became the growth of the Christian church that has been the strongest and the fastest in all of the history of the church. What's happened in China? You see, when the communists took over, there were just, oh, just a few hundreds of thousands of Christians in China. But, that was at World War II, but by 1983 there were 10 million Christians in China. And now there are well over 100 million Christians in China. In fact, they say that by 2030 there'll be more Christians in China than there will be in the United States. I think it's going to be sooner than that. I think it's going to be by, 19, by 2025. What could God do with us if he had permission? Turn to Acts chapter 2, if you would, please. Acts chapter 2. 
starting with verse 46. This is talking about the very beginnings of the Christian church there in Jerusalem after Pentecost and all. And it says in verse 46, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. What does one accord mean? Yeah, harmony and unity. And they, they were uh, really uh, in good fellowship in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Notice that from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So the Holy Spirit was doing a great work using a house-to-house -house kind of ministry. In 1950, Russia was controlled by the Communist Party. And so Christian churches were very, very limited. Most were outlawed completely. The Orthodox Church was functioning to a limited degree. And but other churches were not really allowed. And so people would come, and they would open their homes to a few other people they could trust. Because communist infiltrators were trying to get into these Christian groups so that then they could... Uh, notify the authorities and let them be let the rest of the Christians be captured so most of these home churches were very small only about a dozen people and usually just with the family members of the extended family of the believers and a very few number of other people who they knew well who could be trusted not to be spies so to speak now, so there were three pastors who got talking. Of course, they were underground pastors, and they had other jobs, but they were, they were talking together about how this house church movement impacted the young people. Imagine yourself a teenager, and week after week after week, the only ones you worship with are your own family and maybe two or three other people. How would that be? Year after year, you don't know what's going on in the rest of your country, if the other side of the city, if you're in a city, or, or certainly not in other countries of the world. You don't know what it's like to be part of a worship service like we have here, ever, ever. And so the pastor said, our young people need to understand that, this, that the movement of Christianity in the world is big and broad. How can we do it? How can we help them? So they said, let's take and rent a hall in Moscow and have a youth congress, a meetings for youth for a whole week and invite the young people to come. People thought that was crazy. The authorities are going to find out. You're going to be in trouble. They said it will be worth it. And so they did. And 700 young people came from all these different house churches. 700. And they were thrilled to see that there were other believers beyond their little groups. And the pastor said, well, what are we going to have these young people do during this week? This is an important event. We've got to have them do something significant. And what they were moved to do was to challenge these young people to reproduce the four Gospels from memory and whatever hymns they could remember. Now remember, these young people were in communist Russia. 
Were Bibles allowed? No, not one of those young people, not one of those 700 young people had their own personal copy of the Bible. But they had heard the Bible preached in their home churches. And as they went through the week, the young people were able to reproduce all four Gospels with almost no errors. The whole of them. And a few hundred hymns. God can work through house churches and do amazing things. Now, 50 years later, see that was 1950, and in the late 1990s, a Christian leader went to Russia talking with people. Now remember, the, it was in the 80s when Russia was freed from communism, wasn't it? So they, by the 1990s, they had had 10 years of freedom. And the Christian leader knew about that meeting in the 1950s. And he asked the young people, who were the grandchildren of the ones who in 1950 were able to reproduce the Gospels. And he asked them questions about the Gospels. They knew almost nothing. They knew so little. They couldn't even reproduce the books of the Bible. You know, naming the 66 names of the books of the Bible. They had lost in 10 years of freedom what their grandparents had held on to so securely for 80 years of persecution. Where are we in that? Wow. Wow. If that doesn't hit us hard, right? In Acts chapter 5, if you look at that, verse 29, Acts 5, 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Communism affected other countries than China and Russia. It also affected many of the Eastern Bloc countries as we refer to them. And one denomination in one of these Eastern European countries had yielded to the government's pressures to control them. This particular country was allowing churches to operate as long as the pastors would submit their sermons to the leaders to be reviewed before they're preached. And other activities of the church all had to be approved before the churches could do anything. And the leaders of this particular denomination, they said, well, it was a Christian denomination, they said, well, we be, we, at least we can operate. If, if we don't cooperate, they'll shut us down completely. But if we'll just cooperate and go along, at least we can have something. And so they did. They yielded. But then one of their pastors had heard about a course being offered at a school in England for pastors who want to do advanced studies. And so he applied to the government for permission for him to travel to England for this special course for pastors. Miracle of miracles, they granted him his request. 
They couldn't, he and all the other pastors couldn't believe it. And he went to England and he studied. And when he came back, the pastors gathered around him and they said, what did you learn? What did you learn? He said, well, I learned a lot, but let me tell you the thing I, that really impressed me. We have freedom in Christ. Christ has purchased freedom for all of us that as Christians we don't have to obey man when it comes to the things where God has given us instructions that man disagrees with. We have to obey God and we have freedom to do that. So if the government says you can't preach in the name of Jesus outside of your church, we have the freedom to do it. If the, if the government says you can't preach about this particular subject, we have the freedom in Christ. He purchased it. It's ours. Well, the other pastors said, well, that's pretty bold. We can't do that. But some of the others listened. They said, really? And they started searching the Scriptures. And it led to a year of study. And after a year, they said, we see that what you've told us is true. The freedoms that we have is not provided by the government. It's provided by God. And we should be standing in the freedom that God has given us in Christ. And so half of the pastors of that denomination signed a document that they wrote up. And this document said, government leaders, we believe in government and we are not here as an organization to disrupt the government we, in fact, our God tells us to support the government as it enforces good things on the society, keeps order in society. But there are certain freedoms that God has provided for us, such as where to worship, how to worship, what to preach, how to minister to the community. Those are the freedoms that God has provided for us, and we are going to exercise our freedom. And they signed it. And they sent it to the national authorities. And they waited for the consequences. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited. And no consequences came. And now they were free to exercise those freedoms in Christ, and they started to worship where they wanted and preach what they wanted and all the rest. And the government did not interfere because they got their priorities straight. You see, when persecution comes, it hits us. What are the priorities of my life? Boy, I tell you, I don't know about you, but keeping my priorities straight is one of the hardest things. couple years ago in Vietnam the government had told the Seventh-day Adventist Church that in Vietnam in this country you have limited uh, permission to do what you want to do we'll let you have an organization recognized by the government but we don't want you stepping out of line 
And so some of the members started to go beyond what per was permitted by having house churches. They started inviting their neighbors to come and learn about Jesus in their own home. And the, the Seventh-day Adventist Church went from 10,000 members two years ago to now 450,000 members in two years. God is doing something in the world. It's not just way back in the book of Acts. It's today. God is at work. It is time. I want to be a part of what God is doing. What a privilege it is. What a gift to be part of it. Will you choose to receive this gift of God by surrendering yourself to Him and let Him use you? Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we read the stories of the Bible, especially as we think about here in the book of Acts, how you use people like Stephen and Philip and Paul and Silas, and how you have been working in our world in just recent decades, in China, in Russia, in Eastern Bloc countries, and in Vietnam. Father, we feel like here in the United States we're being left out. But then again, those other places, just like with Paul and Silas, you had to get your people into prison. You had to get them into tough circumstances. And then the hymns, the love of the truth, the freedom of Christ that you put into their hearts shone forth people noticed Lord help us to see that the difficulties the challenges the troubles that you allow come into our lives can be just the thing that can highlight the faith and the hope and the love you've put into our hearts that others may be drawn to the one who can alone provide true peace and true hope. Use us for your glory, for the building up of your kingdom at this hour, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We turn to our closing hymn, number 313, Just As I Am. We'll sing four stanzas, one and two, and then five and six. One and two, Five and six of number three thirteen. Our benediction is from Ephesians chapter 3. Glory be to him whose power working in us 
can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory be to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen.